Hello everyone and welcome to Now You're Playing With Power, a Nintendo podcast. My name is NBZ and uh, joining me on uh, this episode, uh, number 22 as it so happens to be, um, a man who is bedraggled and worn out and uh, half dead as a result of completing a triathlon. One might say the Triforce of Sporting Events. <laughs> triforce uh, of Sporting Events. It is. It's Bally. How are you doing, Bally? Hello, everyone. I'm feeling a little stiff and very sunburned, actually. I didn't put on any sun cream and got absolutely fried. Um, yeah. And I have a, a tri, tri suit marks all over oh, my no. like it's a hilarious looking tan line but um seeing as this is a radio show i guess we don't have to talk about that so no we don't because yeah. no one can see us exactly. it's all about it's all about the listening experience and uh we have a listening experience for you today so bali why don't you uh let the kind folks uh at home uh, know what's going to be going on. So we're going to talk about what we've been playing, and then, as normal, we're going to do some of your emails and see what you've written in to us with. And then finally, we're going to talk about gaming with younger gamers. So th- we're talking maybe, I don't know what age is, 9 to 14-ish range. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And, and sort of how gaming has changed since we were that age, because we're now early 20s and i guess it has changed quite a bit actually but we'll get into all that those glorious details later certainly and uh should be pretty interesting topic um so uh so yeah uh i guess before we get into all that we're just gonna start off with our first usual segment what we've been playing in the past couple of weeks and uh i know bali you have been jumping into a nintendo ip that you have not really touched before so why don't you let people know about that Yes, um, this is another Nintendo classic, actually, um, that, and it is of a franchise that I've never properly tried, apart from one game a tiny bit, which is difficult to explain, but um, that is Star Fox 64 3D. Um, so yeah, I've played a tiny bit of Star Fox Adventures in the past on the GameCube, but that's it, and that, by all accounts, is not a Star Fox game. Um, so... What did I think of Star Fox 64? I really liked it, but there were some negatives that bugged me. Um, I guess probably the biggest thing about the game is that the mi- the mission structure. So, so there's multiple routes to how you can complete the game. And to access those multiple routes, you take different exits during this stage but unlike say a game like i don't know new super mario bros where the exits they're kind of hidden um but you can kind of find them there are certain levels of star fox i found where i don't see how it's possible to even work out the secret exits without looking at a guide right you you need to have your nintendo power handy in order to actually find <laughs> out what you're supposed to do in order to fulfill the criteria yeah right? so i mean i purposefully went into the main missions blind and i said right i'm just going to complete this game beginning to end see what path i randomly go on and see what happens so i played it and then i got to the end and it turns out i took the easiest route possible i took the route that if you complete the missions well you can there's certain missions where you actually kind of fail the mission but by failing the mission you then take that 
um, you take a certain route because you failed the mission. But it tells you, it, yeah, right. So, so dying or whatever is actually consequential in the long run. Yeah, well, so you're going to not... basically have two forking paths. And you're going to go. It's like the yeah. Zelda timeline, isn't it? If Link exactly. dies, then it's the, tri- this is the triple layer I mean, thing. But, uh... you're not dying. It's more like um, Slippy Toad got caught by the. Um, some bad guy. Star or, Wolf is is the is the enemy of this game. Star Wolf is is that how it there really are shakes out? Two ma- enemies of this game. So the main enemy is Andros. And oh, the evil Andros! You indeed. have become in, you are a mercenary team called Star Fox, and you are entrenched in this battle between the dogs and the monkeys. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Andros is the monkeys, and and uh, Sergeant Pepper. Pepper, Colonel yeah, Peppy. Pe- no, not Pepper. No, it's, it's Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. And Peppy is a hare, but Sergeant yes. Pepper is a hound, and he's like right. the, the Colonel. Or maybe it's Colonel Pepper. And I think it's Sergeant Pepper. It is Sergeant Pepper, but I read somewhere that Miyamoto, there's some uh, old Japanese folklore that's like a fight between a monkey and a dog, and that's where he got the idea for, um, for these two sides. Um, okay. But anyway, it's basically a bit like. The empire. Well, it's not. The, that's a bad comparison. As we're going to say, like well, the empire. I, I guess it is like more Star Warsy than any other, you know, Nintendo yes, IP out there. Yes, so it is very powerless. Star Warsy, and I, I will come to that for sure. But um, yeah, so your Star Fox, your mercenary group who works for. Um, so, uh, let's just call him Sergeant Pepper because I can't remember the name. Sergeant Pepper and. Yeah, your team needing to defeat Andros, and that's basically it. To the st- and you're flying around the galaxy, uh, clearing Andros's forces off different planets as well as in space. And Andros comes up with dastardly robots and monsters, and there's some really epic bosses in this game. There seems to be like pretty much a boss for every stage, I think. Um, and yeah, basically. What was I trying to say? The the structure of this game is that you play each level, like I said, there's loads of different paths, there's a boss at every ending, uh, at the end of every level, I should say, and then there's the final boss with um, Andros, and you can do the whole game in less than two hours. So and... what did you think of that? When you went through for the first time and the game ended, were you like, huh? That's that's weird. Like that that's kind of short. Sure. What's going on here? Or did did you have the pre knowledge that there were the, the branching paths and everything? I knew that there were branching paths. I had no idea how long the first run through would take me. I wasn't really surprised at all. Really, I thought you know that's I've played a good chunk of game right now. I've not played a ton, but yeah, that that's cool. And I really want to now go and uh, see the other paths. So then after that, I did the middle path. And then finally, no, actually, I did the hardest path, although it took me a number of tries um, to do the hardest path. And then I did the middle path after that. Um, and I've done the other, I think I've done the easiest path back through a few more times to try and get medals. Um, but I should say that the score, the score attack is completely separate to the main mission mode. And they've added that since the original N64 version. Um, so you can just access any level you like at any time and try and go for uh, a separate group of medals. So they keep they keep the medals separate. So you can have, you have your score attack medals, which are like gold, silver, bronze, and then you have the main mission levels, which are just basically 
complete a level getting a lot of hits so like hits as in hits on ships that's how you get points in this game right okay so in order to get medals on the main mission games you have to defeat you have to get a certain number of hits by defeating enemies and also keep all three team members alive um so that's the bit that really feels like star wars in my opinion are your teammates and the chatter and the constant sort of banter between the four of members of your team. Yeah, I was going to get to this because it is a very curious aspect of Star Fox is the voice acting, right? It's not something that is very common in many Nintendo games, uh, but Star Fox was one of the first and uh, it's kind of goofy. It's it's really weird, uh, but uh, I'm kind of interested in your take on it and, and how you thought it kind of uh, fitted into the entire plot and everything. Yeah, I mean, I've played... I actually didn't realize that I'd played games like Star Fox before playing, but then I thought to myself, actually, I've played Rogue Squadron, Rebel Strike. I've played the original Rogue Squadron a bit. I've played Battle for Naboo, which is the same team. So I've I've had experience of kind of Star Wars-esque flying games that have voice acting, and they say, oh, you got to do this, you got to do that, or oh, shoot down this, shoot down that. And in all of those games I've experienced, it's it's quite dry and everything in those games is often quite gray because i mean that's just what star wars is like it's very it's the empire it's very gray star fox just adds so much color in every single way to to that kind of idea or that stereotype of that star wars idea of of different planes flying around yeah it's just taking the sci-fi model really and and blowing out exactly taking that sci-fi model and it's it's so colourful in the sense that, yes, it is colourful. It is a very colourful game. It looks fantastic in 3D. I think this is my favourite. And I, I would compare it with maybe Pilot Wings in this way, although I think it nails the 3D 3D better than Pilot Wings, is that, yeah, the 3D works really well. The colours are so vibrant. But one thing they changed that makes it just feel really enticing is that rather than... Because it's got an extra screen... Rather than sticking the head of the person talking on the top screen, they stick it on the bottom screen. So it genuinely feels like you're kind of flying a ship and then someone's popping up on the screen like talking to you. And and just the the, the fact that they are the the face of the person in your team talking to you pops up. That just makes the game so much... It, they, you really feel like they're there with you and it's really cool. And that's something that the Rogue Squadron games never do is like the head of i don't know biggs or luke skywalker just pops up like talking to you that just never happens um but so... it's goofy though right like it, it it's not really very self-serious i'd imagine in a star fox game it is goofy but i love it because it's goofy sort of thing it's yeah. like it's like okay this this hair is speaking to me and and, (laughs) and then you just kind of go why is the toad always getting caught by everyone all the time like slippy toad is because he sucks he's He's easily the one that most gets caught the most because what happens in almost every level is your teammates will be will, will be talking to you um and they'll say fox fox get this guy off my tail or something or slippy will be like Help me, Fox! I'm in trouble! Blah, blah, blah! And you have to fly over to Slippy. You can see the dudes flying behind him, and you have to shoot them. And that's the other thing to say, is that there is friendly fire in this game. So you have to be really careful not to shoot your own teammates. Wow, so you can take them down yourself. Yeah, you can take your teammates down yourself. And if you have the fully charged lasers, which you get quite easily in this game, there's two laser 
power-ups. Um, you can take out your teammate pretty, pretty, pretty damn quickly. Um, and off, there's certain levels where they fly onto the screen on purpose to like fool you. So it's obviously the, it's the game fooling you. It's saying, oh, here's, here's Pepe, and you start shooting, and then you're like, ah, oh, no, I'm doing damage to him. And they can't, They all have their, like, l- line when you shoot them. Like, Falco's so, so like, arrogant. He's just like, God, watch yourself, Fox, or look out. Or, and Pepe's just like, oh, you're not as good as your dad. Like, he always talks about your dad because he was, like, um, part of the story was that Pepe was part of uh, Falco. Falco, Fox's dad's um, squadron or whatever, right? Our wings. Um, and and... Isn't there some weird tenuous link to F Zero with James McCloud, who's supposed to be his father, who's actually a human in that game? Yeah, I mean, you've basically explained the whole link. Uh, there's not right. much more to it than that. He basically <laughs> okay. James McCloud is Fox's dad, and he wears sunglasses. Um, big spoiler, although this is a very old game, you actually see James McCloud at the end of the game. Oh, okay. As in, like, you you like don't know. You think is, I think he's meant to be a ghost, and it's very reminiscent of like Obi Wan Kenobi being dead at the end Uh, of episode four, and he's like guiding you out of 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 Venom, uh, Andros's planet when it's exploding, Um, and it's just. If you are a Star Wars fan and a Nintendo fan, which I have been this whole time, I think right. this is such a good game to play because it's really easy to pick up and play. The tutorial is great. Um, I've never played the original, so I don't know all the ins and outs of what they've added and taken away and stuff. But all by all accounts that I've read and reviews and video reviews and things, they all think that this is a much improved version of the original. Um the added score attack, the added multiplayer, which I've not actually experienced yet, but it looks kind of cool. Yeah, um, which I actually have played before, and it's, it's kind of a fun uh, fun little mode there. It's, it's uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it works. It's functional. Um, it's a shame it's not online, but it doesn't really matter, because it's, it's the single player where this game scores highly. And it's just got so much character, and I say this about so many Nintendo games, but it's got so much polish. It's really, really well done. The criticisms that say it's too short, I would disagree with because I've just pumped 13 hours into this game and it cost me 20 quid. I think that's a really fair deal. Yeah, I think um, I think I think it's got 16 missions in total, which isn't that bad. Uh, it's I, I do... mean, how long are they though? Like, do the missions run you a decent amount of time? Are they they like? 10 15 minutes or, or or more than that oh way less than that they're like maybe three four minutes each five oh, wow, minutes okay. max yeah um but i guess uh, like the time sync comes from the challenge invested there uh points uh, uh yeah i mean you will out. you will lose lives it is a it's an easy game to play tough to master it's really sure. difficult to get medals um i've got one gold medal in total i've got about eight or nine bronze and one and two silver i think um and in the main missions i've only got like two of the main game medals but it's got so much replayability um and i'm really intrigued to like try out some other star fox game in the series um i should say this was co-developed by q games uh which is headed by dylan cuthbert dylan cuthbert who was behind the original star fox on the snes and was actually one of the the 
the founding fathers, I guess you could call them, of um, Mode 7 and actual 3D graphics. So it's really cool that like his group are back working on this game. Um, and I know that they worked on the DS version of this game. So that's probably the one I'm heading towards in terms of if I was going to try another one. Um, but yeah. No, I was cool. looking at loads of history of, of Star Fox. And there's nice. an awful lot about Q Games and Dylan Cuthbert and Miyamoto kind of screwing him over a little bit um oh interesting yeah so he also did q games do a lot of stuff for other platforms like sony and stuff yeah yeah they uh very recently at the sony gamescom uh gamescom should i say press conference uh dylan cuthbert came on stage and uh, announced a a brand new ip that their studio is working on i think it's called the tomorrow children uh it's it's really weird it's like this russian doll kind of art style and it seems like a very kind of minecrafty game but uh yeah, I'm kind of interested to see where that goes. So, uh, so yeah. Do you think you'd give a Star Fox game a bash? I mean, I'm gonna one day. You know, you know. Aside yeah. from Adventures, which I already own, which a lot of people don't really count as a Star Fox game because it really isn't, uh, in all honesty. Um, but I'm I'm really interested in what they're going to be doing with this new Wii U one because that is on the horizon. And yeah. According to Miyamoto and his team, they want to turn it around in a year, even though a lot of people say it's like hardly even a concept at this point <laughs> but um you know that that's certainly something that would turn my head uh, if, if nothing else and uh, yeah, i'd I, be interested to dive in at that point yeah i mean the wii u version like this star fox 64 3d has made the wii u version a day one purchase for me personally because I, and i've i have read everywhere that star fox 64 3d is the best version of a star fox game you can get um, that's out there at the moment and yeah i'm sure it is i mean it came out at a time when the 3ds had very few games but yeah just fantastic game awesome um, obviously i'm not a big fan of the mission structure like i said but overall amazing game excellent well that's good to hear and uh certainly it's something that i am gonna look to try and get it to in the future but i'm gonna continue along the sci-fi theme i guess by talking about uh, a game i've been playing on the pc more specifically my laptop recently as i am still in london i'm going back tomorrow so uh, i'll be back to my nice beefy desktop then but uh i'm going to talk about the swapper uh, so this is a really fascinating indie game uh, that came out last year, I believe. And, uh, you know, I heard a lot about it because Patrick Klepik on the Bombcast, he was going on about it and saying, like, it's one of the best games he's played all year. And yet no one was talking about it. And uh, very recently it came to the PS4 and PS3, like two weeks ago. And it is, in fact, set for a Wii U release later this year. So it's pertinent to a lot of uh, you guys who are listening because, uh, you know, if you're interested in Nintendo platforms and you own a Wii U, and no other console like Bally here. I am. Um... Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, so it's going to be coming to to that system. I think it's actually going to work really well on Wii U, and I'll explain why in a second. But the premise behind the Swapper is it's a puzzle platformer, and when I say puzzle platformer, I put a heavy emphasis on the puzzle part because you are essentially this spacesuit. And you have this device which is called the Swapper, and it allows you to create clones of yourself and then swap into those clones. So you zap a button and you transfer yourself from one suit to the other. And uh, the way they structure the game is it's based around this planet that you've been, you know, you find yourself in or you wake up in. I can't quite remember the beginning because I started it a while ago, but uh, you end up there and you're wandering around and uh, it's it's structured similarly to 
a Metroid game in terms of the map, but not in terms of progression, because you're not really getting upgrades or anything like that. You're just uh, trying to finish puzzles to unlock gates to new areas, um, and so you're not really adding much to your arsenal. It's more just thinking things out and figuring out ways to get through places. So it's really, really interesting because the amount of different things they do with this mechanic where you are creating a clone of yourself, swapping into it, and then, you know, trying to move from one place to another with a limited amount of uh, moves, because you can only create, I think, up to five different versions of yourself at once. So you sometimes get to points where you're like, oh, I need one more of those, but I don't have enough zap left, so I need to figure out a way of killing one of the other clones so that I get another one available, so then I can make one. It becomes this really complicated thing, and... Um, it's it's a game that makes you feel really really smart because the puzzles are designed in such a way that you you're like wow okay I could approach it from this angle or this angle. In actuality, you probably can only approach it from one angle, but it does make you feel like you are just some kind of genius figuring these things out. You're like oh look at that, I interlinked all these things and managed to uh, to get it working. And, so um, and it does it by like colored lights right like i've yeah. seen you play it a bit and it's kind of there's red and blue lights and each one of those means something different and it's kind is it to, it's like how do i explain the blue well, light means you can't put your clone in the light or is that right. red or what so 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 they do have different restrictions placed on you so you'll walk into a room and there's like seven different lights or in actuality about three uh red light allows you to place a clone but not to swap into it so you can make uh. one but you can't zap to it blue light allows you to zap but you can't make a clone in it so you'll have these scenarios where you're like hey that thing's up there and it's easy to get to but i am being barricaded by these specific patterns and uh, you need to really figure out different ways of, of getting through it so it does become quite a challenge as you're you know, working your way through these puzzles and uh, and thinking of different ways uh, to get to the you know end goal. Um, and I, what was the longest you got stuck on one puzzle? Oh man, I you know it is a case. Did you, did you have to go to the guide religiously or just occasionally or? No, no, I never? really didn't. I I I did have to much closer to the end when things were ramping up and it they they introduced new mechanics like uh, basically being able to walk on the ceiling. So there are some of these uh, panels that will reverse your gravity and you're suddenly walking on the ceiling. And so when you're upside down, you're only able to create clones that are also upside down. And when you're on the floor, you're only cr- able to create ones which are the right way up. So it puts you in a lot of those weird scenarios that you know create the, these puzzle rooms to go on for a long time and you have to do a very intricate set of moves and if you fuck up once well you might as well reload the room because it's going to take you right back to the beginning anyway so uh, it does become a little bit tricky there I wouldn't say I spent a huge amount of time on any single area maybe you know 20 minutes at the most and then I would either get you know annoyed and just be like no I'm going to put this down I'm going to come back to it um, or something like that and it would essentially allow me to uh, you know take a, a fresh you know bring fresh eyes to it afterwards and you know that happens a lot in puzzle games where you kind of take a break and you come back and all of a sudden the solution comes to you uh thinking of it from a different perspective so 
that did happen uh, in some situations, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't overly tough. It just got to certain points where I was like, ah, I don't know, I'm going to go to the internet, YouTube is my friend, and I just, uh, just want to, you know, get through these, because otherwise I wouldn't be stuck here all day. Is it a particularly and, uh, long game? I mean, it took me around five to six hours, I'd say. So, you know, as as far as indie games go, it's kind of standard length. You know, it's, it's your $15, $10 game. But I just, I think that the bar of quality is so, so high. It's extremely well polished. And the art style is incredible. It's it's this kind of claymation look to it, right? It's it's a similar thing, I would say. I wouldn't directly compare it to Kirby and the Rainbow Curse because that's much more plasticine. Um, but it has this kind of clay, kind of very realistic feel to it. It's very tangible. And um, it just, it works in that setting so well. There's, you know, the atmosphere is so well um, introduced because it's, it's really dark and there's not much light around and there's not much music it's a lot of ambient noise and and it does have a very metroid feel to it despite the fact that you're not shooting enemies that you know there's no enemy in the game at all um and it's uh, you know dialogue stuff and, and that kind of stuff happening but but yeah it's 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 really really fascinating game and uh I really enjoyed it. it. It took me a while to get through because, you know, I put it down for a bit and I was playing other stuff and then I picked it back up and I wanted to do it on my laptop because I couldn't transfer saves and different things happened with it. So but, how much um, do you guesstimate it would be on Wii U when I'm wanting to buy this? <laughs> um, I, I'd say maybe... Tenor. I would say more cl- close to like maybe the twelve ninety nine, eleven ninety nine range. It, it's a weird pricing model we have in the UK sometimes when games come across digitally, and you end up with kind of strange numbers. So I'd, I'd put it around the kind of middle range there. Uh, okay. But um, it's well worth picking up. You know, it's a, it's a really high quality game, and I think that's the case with a lot of independent games these days. Is some of them, yeah, they're very throwaway. They're not that great, but there are a few which have such care and attention to detail, and are so there's so much passion and, and and love put into these. And you know, you can tell it's so well designed. You're just thinking out these puzzles. You're like, wow, someone must have been super smart to create this scenario to to make me feel like a genius and. Um, you know that's something that it does extraordinarily well, and you know the the genre doesn't have that many games in it. So, as far as that goes, I would say it is uh, a must buy. And um, you know, if if you've got a Wii U laying around, then uh, be ready because it is coming at some point very near in the future. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's great. Swapper, remember that name, the Swapper. It's uh, I don't know, it's just, it's there for your uh, potential playing enjoyment. All right. Uh, well, that I feel is going to be the end of our segment here. So uh, we are going to return after the break uh, with a look at your listener emails that you have sent to us, the electronic mails, and uh, we'll see you in a bit. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
And we are back, ladies and gentlemen, to take some emails that you have sent to us to our very fanciful email address, which is Bally. NYPPQuestions at gmail.com. Keep them coming, we're running out. We are getting low. That mailbag is starting to look a little bit lonely. He would like to plump himself up and get warm for the winter. So if you could fill him up, he would be most appreciated. So uh, go to your email client, type us an email, and we may read it on the show. And Bally has the first one for this week. So the first person filling up the mailbag this week is Saint. Hi guys, I recently got a free download from Metroid, the original, and I haven't started it yet, but it brought me to mind the question, which Metroid game is your favourite and why? I don't remember if you answered this before, but what are your favourite genres of games to play? I know I'm going to sound nostalgic, but I still love older games despite the crappy graphics and mechanics, but in new games it kind of lessens games to me. How do you guys feel about graphics and mechanics and how they affect your opinions on games? Thanks for all the great content, guys. All right. Thank you, Saint, for that email. We have uh, a few different questions there, so why don't we take them in order? Um, so, Bali, you this year have played three Metroid games. Uh, and yes. Before that, you had played none. So yes. you actually can answer this question at this point. Uh, so which of those three would you say was your favorite, Bali? The one that left me feeling like wow, that was an experience, and wow, I would one day love to play that again, is probably Metroid Prime. Yeah, um, I expected that. It hit me the hardest, although I say play it again, I say I would play it again, but really I'd probably do a 2D, a 2D one again, just because they're a bit shorter. Um, totally. They're, they're a bit more straightforward, they're quite quicker, faster pace, much faster pace, I should say. Um, so maybe they are more replayable, um, and I do still need to play two and three in the Metroid Prime trilogy. So, yeah, yeah. Um, for me, it's an obvious one. It is one of my favorite games of all time. It is Metroid Fusion, and I mean, the reasoning behind that is probably not the most sound, but it's it's a lot of it is nostalgia. You know, it's it's one of those games that I played when I was younger. <laughs> because you've I... not played Metroid Prime. <laughs> Well, maybe, but I don't know. It's it's just, there are so many details about Metroid Fusion that keep me coming back to it. It is it is a fast-paced uh, propulsion of a game where it just throws you along and you are just boss after boss after area after area after power-up after upgrade after just non-stop. It's a bullet train of a Metroid game. And that's why I like it, because you're not kind of wandering around and getting lost. You always know where to go. Uh, and you are just, you know, that, that that graph, as it were, of Samus's power level just increasing and slowly getting up there is... It's such a satisfying one, and just one that I really love. And it has so many great areas and, and so many uh, memorable things about it. The sound design is one of my favorites, where it's just, you know, those clicks when you start to press down the missile um, and you have it locked and loaded, just the, the satisfying click sounds and the beam sounds, it's just kind of drilled into my brain at this point, and uh, there's no letting go. So, you know, Metroid Fusion, it's my, it's my, it's my game. It's the one I, I mean, go to. I mean, I love it, but it's just not, it's just not quite as good as it is. Well, well you know, yeah. opinions, man. Yeah. Everyone has them. <laughs> so, uh, uh, favorite genres. Okay, yeah. What, what, uh, what ones do you usually gravitate towards, Bally? Um, 
See, that's the thing about Nintendo is they cover quite a lot of different genres, um, and I seem I feel like I like a lot of different Nintendo games that, like I said, cover lots of different genres. So, I guess if it was one above others, I'd like I like adventure games, but adventure can come under. It can have shooting elements or platforming elements, uh, or puzzle elements. So, I'd say adventure games that have a mixture of elements are probably my favorite games. Yeah, I mean that's a really these, vague answer. But these that's... days, it is much harder to nail down the kind of exact genre of games. It's, it, you know, genres I feel are an element of uh, or a you know a, a thing that came out of the games media earlier on when they needed to categorize things and break them down and say this is this game and this belongs here and you know this should be here because it, it contains these elements i just feel it's a, a lot more meaningless these days you know games cross uh, pollinate and do different things all the time so it's a lot harder to nail it down to one specific uh, I thought you'd uh, bring up racing games because, you know, the racing yeah. genre is one that you do like to dip in a lot more uh, to uh, than I do, and you're a lot better at it than I am. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree, but again, my favorite racing games are probably the Nintendo racing games that I've played, so Mario Kart, F-Zero, Wave Race there. Yeah, I just like, I do enjoy the Nintendo umbrella and the games, with the genres within that umbrella. Um, yeah, yeah. Of those, may I adventures, adventure games, and racers are probably higher up than the others, but we'll see. Yeah, and I mean, I, I would kind of echo the sentiment of, I guess, the generic adventure style. You know, third person uh, game. You know, your Zelda's, your I guess to some degree, Uncharted is is similar in that way. You know, it's it is categorized as a third person shooter, but that game is you know so much more than that. It's, it's more than some of its parts and. Um, that's a big one for me, but again, platformers are huge on my radar. I am a massive fan of, you know, the the really tough as nails platformers. You know, the Nintendo ones from every shape, flavor, and size. And uh, you know, the the two D the two D space is where I really feel at home and comfortable. And and, and those are ones that I love. Uh, and then RPGs. Um, I've really been getting big into RPGs much more recently. Uh, you know, I started off playing games because of an RPG. Pokemon was the first game I ever played, uh, or at least the first, not really the first game I ever played, but like, it was the first game that I really got into and owned, uh, and uh, it was deeply entrenched in, and so I would say that I'm kind of, you know, coming to experience a lot more of the genre at this point, and having played stuff like Xenoblade and Final Fantasy Thirteen and uh, all these massive, huge scope uh, RPGs, it's something that I've come to appreciate a lot, and uh, I'm looking to dive more into those, so uh, so that's what I would say as, as my favourite genres. So I guess we can move on to the next question. Which... Well, he did have the oh. last one, which... Uh... Uh, what what was he talking about? Graphics he... and mechanics. Right. So so the breakdown of you know uh, after time uh, has been unkind to certain games. Uh, how they age, I guess. How how graphics and mechanics age, and uh, how they affect games uh, as as they get older. I've I've um, got a really simple way that I feel defines this in that I think that. Super Nintendo games have easily aged far better than N64 games. Totally, And yeah. it's really difficult to... I mean, at the time, everyone would have argued that N64 has better graphics than 
the Super Nintendo. But if right. you try and play them these days, I'd I'd easily pick up A Link to the Past or Super Metroid because it's just a nicer looking game than, for example, Ocarina of Time or the original Mario 64 3D. Not 3D. Goodness sake. The original Super <laughs> Mario 64. So, um, yeah. I, I just think that the N64 kind of... Those games are really hard to go back and play. Um, I yeah. I, and I think it's not just the graphics angle. I think, th- mechanically, Super Nintendo games are much more solid. You know, a lot of it has to do with the era of 3D gaming coming into, you know, its its first iteration and people figuring things out. There are a lot of N64 games that control, like, absolute ass. Like, it is kind of hard to go back and try and play those, but, you know, stuff on the Super Nintendo is pretty silky smooth, and I would tend to agree. From from the era of, you know, from Nintendo's first console through to their third, I would say that, you know, you know Super Nintendo, their second one, is the one that has aged the best, and, um, you know, when, when you're coming back through the, the ages, you know, you get to GameCube and then to Wii, I do think that it becomes less important, uh, because, you know, graphics and, and mechanics are at a point there where they are solid enough that it doesn't really make a huge difference but um, you know if we're talking about the really old days then then yeah I, I tend to agree with you um, but uh, but yeah I don't, I don't know I don't know how we'll view GameCube games in 20 years time will we think that they're as ugly as N64 games I don't know it's, I hope it's, not. It's, it's all a matter of perspective so so there you go so the next question is from Elias. Hi guys, this time with a short question. Which genre should a new IP from Nintendo be? In your opinions, of course. So it could be something absolutely ridiculous. Greetings from Germany. P.S. If the listeners want to play a drinking game, they should take a sip every time MBZ says sure. Sure. Uh, <laughs> sure. I, uh, sure, yeah. sure, 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 sure. <laughs> I I've, I actually have been noticing that I tend to do that a lot when you're talking, Bali. I I just kind of say like, sure, yeah, mm, sure, yeah. Sure. And uh, I've been cutting it out of the podcast uh, in editing recently. So <laughs> if you if you notice less of that, the fact that then, uh, it's still getting through to Elias is hilarious. That you've been editing it out and he's still saying you always say sure. But anyway. yeah, well, you know that is funny. Trying to trying to stop, but. Uh, I don't know. I'd like to try and contribute to discussion if I. Um, you you know, could, I don't you want could to butt do in. the more. You could do the more American. Huh. 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 Mm. huh. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Indeed. Mm. Uh, wait. So. So. What was the question? I've completely forgotten <laughs> at this point. Off that. Which tangent. IP should Nintendo? What should they do? What, what should no, they do? No. Not. What. What genre should their new IP be from? All right. <laughs> Nintendo should make a platformer. Um, it'd be okay. innovative. No. <laughs> uh. I'm actually somewhat serious about that. Now, when I when I say Nintendo should make a platformer, I think that they should come into the modern era of platformers. And what I mean by that is get rid of lives, get rid of these really long levels that last far too... Uh, I'm talking 2D platformers, by the way, not, not 3D. Uh, get rid of these uh, levels which are long and, and make things short. Basically, what I want is Nintendo to do their take on Super Meat Boy. You know, do a hard-as-balls platformer and uh, and make it something super intense and crazy because 
to be quite honest, I've enjoyed games like that a lot more than a lot of Nintendo's recent offerings when it comes to 2D uh, platforming games. Um, what do you think about that, Bally? I know you haven't really played many masochistic platformers, as it were, but... Uh... No, I... And as someone who has played quite a lot of Nintendo 2D platformers, I quite like their current formula. But that's just because I've not played masochistic um 2D platformer. So, I mean, I am keen to try out something like a Super Meat Boy or Bit Trip Runner. Or um, even VVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVVV
And mine feels very similar, to, you know, with the punch yeah, that was very up. similar, wasn't it? Yeah, just waking up early in the morning and just being like, "Oh, I'm sitting here and I'm just going to go through this." And it was it was kind of a magical thing, I'm I'm going to say. So, so yeah, I, send yeah. us more of your Game Boy stories. Yeah, they're, they're nice. They're good to hear. Um, so yeah, thanks for that email. Um, next email is from Dudbun. Howdy Zed and Bally, tis me yet again with one only a small question. With the announcement of the new Mario Kart 8 DLC today, this was a while ago, it got me thinking, what do you think the future of Nintendo DLC would be like? And what would you want? Imagine the new things like more people in the next Smash, or anything like that. And also, what are your opinions on DLC in general? I'd like to know. Anyways, loving what you're doing um, with all of this, so keep, up, keep it up, you're the best. Okay, DLC has been a uh, an interesting topic for Nintendo because they have done it in a real variety of ways uh, over the past couple of years, and it, it's super interesting to kind of follow that and and see where they're going with it because they are doing different tactics and they're trying different things. And uh, Mario Kart Eight is you know just another branch of that. Um, how do you feel they've approached DLC, Bally? What are your opinions um... here? As someone who has, ne- to my knowledge at least, never downloaded any page for DLC other than the Mario Kart, which I've pre-ordered, um, I I think that they've handled it pretty well, to be honest. I, I was tempted to buy the Pikmin 3 DLC, but I felt I might as well complete the missions I'm stuck on before buying more missions. But it's really nice having the option there that if I ever did go crazy and complete all the missions that I could just go out and download some more. Um, and how well is that stuff passed out in Pikmin 3? I, I completely forgot that was something that had access to it. Do you, do you know that if it's like a level pack or, or how it's kind of broken yeah, down? Yeah, so you've got two modes in Pikmin. You've got the story mode and the mission mode. Uh, the mission mode is made up of... Uh, two different types of missions score attack and enemy um, attack where you basically defeat enemies the other one you just collect stuff as fast as possible I think Um, and it basically gives you brand new levels for both of those um, modes within mission mode Um, I think it gives you I want to say 12 levels in total and I think you already I think you already have 12 or 18 I can't remember it gives you a big a good uh, at least 10 hours of gameplay I would say um, so it's it's cool it's nice having it there um, I do think that the Mario Kart 8 DLC stands head and shoulders above the rest in terms of what Nintendo have done for DLC because I mean yeah, I, I think from a value yeah. perspective it's just ridiculous yeah, yeah I mean I bought it day one I've got the coloured Yoshis as I said on our news podcast, and I'm a sucker for that because I, I just love Mario Kart and I'm super excited. Yeah, I, I think Nintendo, you know, my experience with Nintendo DLC thus far has mainly been through Fire Emblem and the way that they, uh, you know, did different packs uh, of maps, which uh, I don't know, I feel like is a more traditional way to approach it uh, and kind of pass things out into small chunks and, and give it out that way. Um, which is okay, you know, that it does the job, I guess, and you do kind of get to pick and choose which ones you want. 
it's a little bit annoying because what it does do is it locks certain things away behind the DLC. So there are a couple of character classes that you can only get access to if you buy the DLC. There are a couple of uh, abilities and skills that you can only get access to if you buy the DLC. And I mean, the thing with Fire Emblem is it's not a multiplayer game, at least not in the traditional sense of going online and having competitive matches or, or anything like that. And so, you know, they're not kind of destroying that environment by making specific really important things uh, locked away but you know it's it's a little bit annoying that, that they've done that it, it just means that you have to go out of your way to uh to get them one um, one thing i do like about nintendo dlc now maybe i'm in the wrong here but as far as i know and things that i've read they they develop and plan all their dlc after the launch of the initial game and they don't they don't like for example these mario kart tracks will most likely still be in the process of being designed and won't have been designed before the game the original game was released so it's kind of like okay we've we've released that and now we're going to work on something new and i feel like if they if say they say they're designing plenty of smash characters that are all going to be kept behind a pay barrier um that we'll we'll be able to access much later. That would be a bit of a shame, but I can tell that there's going to be a few characters missing from the roster that people are going to be like, ah, oh, really sad that that character's not there. And I think there's the potential that fan fan pressure and like outrage. At, oh, how could you not have included? Um, I don't know Ridley, and then <laughs> and then the fans just get together. I think Nintendo might then realize actually maybe let's just put him in the game. He can be DLC later and. I think just like the characters and tracks in Mario Kart, why not do characters and stages for Smash? It, it, it would make sense, but I don't know. Yeah, well, on your point of uh, Nintendo creating DLC you know, post-release, uh, that is kind of the point for a lot of uh, companies. And, you know, that's the general idea behind it is you finish the game first and then you have additional stuff. The trouble with uh, DLC in general across the board is that a lot of companies will just take parts of the game out and keep it as DLC and then they'll have day one DLC. There's a lot of horrible business practices going on and but I feel I like for the most part Nintendo have avoided yeah. that stuff so it's, it's good uh, that they aren't kind of digging their heels there and kind of you know experimenting you know i mean you've got things like rusty's real deal baseball which is this weird free-to-play experiment that you can get discounts on the games if you play it in the correct way and it's really fascinating that they've approached it in that sense and again with the super luigi u dlc like that's almost an entire expansion pack you know that's kind of more of traditional way of uh giving you more content by doing this really kind of premium thing where it's $20 instead of something like, uh, you know, 5 or, or 10 and uh, just giving you so much more content. So it's, it's cool to see them kind of, you know, being in these experimental phases, uh, but they, they are, in general, behind quite a bit uh, in, in terms of catching up to other people and how this works. But you know what? I think they're doing a great job of it so far, and uh, I've enjoyed their approach. Um, and until they do something obnoxious and outrageous, then I'll continue to uh, stick with the DLC as long as it's good. So, uh, so yeah. yeah, we're fans. It's good. Keep yeah, going. They've they've done a good job. So, so the final email of this week. 
Hi, my name is Victor Burched. Kind of hard last name to pronounce. I know, that's because my family comes from Syria. And I am from Brazil. So first of all, I would like to thank you guys for the awesome show. It keeps me entertained in the office. Uh, keep up the good work, all that good stuff, etc. I believe you guys recorded the last podcast before the videos of Shulk and Bowser Jr. were leaked, right? So I guess we can say it's pretty much real. Anyway, my question is, what characters do you believe are going to fill up the remaining spots? P.S. I love the music breaks. P.S. 2. Shouts out to all my friends at the Facebook group Nintendo Brazil. P.S. 3. The hype is real, guys. P.S. 4. Lol. I really want Bandana Waddle Dee and Smash, but I know that's probably not going to happen in this version, sadly. But my hopes for Ridley are strong. That's what I like to see. Excellent. <laughs> um, I have no idea who Bandana Waddle Dee is, but that sounds good. Anyway. All right. Uh, th- well, thank you for that email, Victor. Uh, that's that's if you're talking about obscure Nintendo characters, like a specific Kirby enemy with a bandana on his head. Uh, that, that's, you know, that, that really feels like a trophy as opposed to anything else. And even a trophy, I would say it's a stretch. Uh, but yeah, we are, we're getting really close here, but you know what? This podcast is probably going to go out a couple of days before oh. uh, the Japanese release of Smash, well, after go. which the floodgates will open and uh, we will know pretty much everything uh, there is to know, uh, of course, until the Wii U version comes out. Uh, so wh- what do you think, Bali? What are going to be the last remaining characters? You know, after that leak, it looked like there may be four or five spots left. Okay, to, so to let's, let's say there's four spots. Here comes Bali's masterful prediction. Here we go. Okay, here we go. I don't know what I'm going to say, but it's going to come out and it's going to be amazing. Right, okay, number one. Um... <laughs> Waluigi! Oh, jeez. Crazy. Yeah. Number two. Paper Mario. Alright. Number three. <laughs> I'm struggling. struggling. I'm struggling <laughs> with this one. Um, someone from Zelda. So <laughs> I, I'm thinking like Demise or Ganon. No. And then number four. It's got to be. It's got to be. It's just got to be Ridley. Yeah, Ridley. Good old Ridley. Yep. So, I, you know, after all these leaks and all <sighs> the information and people saying stuff, I don't, I don't think know. Ridley's going to be in it. I, I'm really torn. I'm just so torn about it. I there is there's arguments both ways, and there's some interesting stuff being brought up, but I. Uh, I hope. I still. I still have hope. It's just kind of. It's kind of very. But it's shallow. crazy to think that there's still about four slots left potentially, even after the leak with the dog and duck, and Bowser Junior and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, people have been saying maybe Mewtwo's coming back. That'd be um, cool. I've heard talk of Dixie Kong who I think would be interesting, despite the fact that it seems like, hey, it's another kind of Mario Universe characters, hailing more from the Donkey Kong side of things. Yeah. But when you think about Dixie Kong and how she plays in those games, in the Donkey Kong Country games, it's very different from Diddy, and she has her whole hair spin thing. I think you could do some interesting stuff but with her if I she was going to the game. everyone at home, MZ, wants to know, who are your four? I, I would say, you know, I'm going to go with Mewtwo. Okay. I'm going to go with Dixie Kong. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Ridley. Okay. 
And uh, fuck it, YOLO, Professor Layton number four, come yes. at me. Well, so. I think I, I kind of, if I had to bet money on which one of us is right, I'd put my money on you, to be honest. Maybe, yeah, you know. <laughs> that's about. We'll see. It's coming out. It's it's coming soon. And, you know, maybe by the time we post this, people who have got early copies of the games will have leaked everything already. So everything we've said have... Was they, will, they will have, like, played the game for a solid 24 hours just trying to unlock every single character. And, yep, yeah. pretty much. Pretty much. So uh, oh, that's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be an exciting week, Bally, for Smash Brothers fans. Shit. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I really am. Or maybe, like, so, King uh, of Red Lions. Bally, let's just, oh no, he just goes on a wave. It's no. like surf. Like, I'm I'm taking the segment. I'm ending it before we get any crazier and go off the deep end because we really Mark are. My words, to that point. people. King no. of Red Lions coming. All right, Smash thanks. For... He's coming. We can't cut back. me off. Gonna... <laughs> Next segment. We'll see you then. Bye. And we are back for the third and final segment of our show. This week, we are going to be discussing uh, a pretty cool topic. So, Bali, why don't you go ahead and uh, jump into it? Yeah, so we're going to talk a bit about younger gamers. And specifically, both of us have um, quite young cousins, or in my case, they're second cousins. Um, And so over the last few weeks, uh, my cousin stayed with me and MBZ, you were down in London with your cousins. So Yes, I was indeed. And all these cousins sort of have a bit of experience with uh, video games. And we just thought we'd talk a bit about what they're into, um, their sort of habits of gaming and, and what, what sort of games we tried to get them into because we felt that the games that they were already into weren't, they're not, you know, they're not the, the high caliber they should be. Um, you might say, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, start with my cousins, I guess. So, my 12-year-old cousin, um, his gaming habits. So, he's really, he's quite PC-orientated. He's got a laptop. Sure. And his number one game at this point in time is World of Tanks. Um, when... Which is really interesting. When you told me that, I was like, what? I was kind of expecting the whole Minecraft thing. That's the obvious choice. There's a lot of kids uh, yeah. down with the Minecraft. Well, but World of Tanks is like, wow, that's a little bit of out left. Yeah, but I mean, a year ago when I saw him, he was mainly into Minecraft. So he's, he's obviously evolved a bit. Um, okay. And he does own a DS Lite. Um, he was given a long time ago. And he owns all the Pokemon games on DS. Yeah. So the 
the diamond and the pearls, the black and the whites, one and two. And he like owns all, all six of them, I think, or maybe about five of them. Does he have heart gold and soul silver as well? He's got one of those, yes. So I think totally he does have about five or six. Um, and then he has the most depressing Game Boy Advance collection I think <laughs> I've ever seen. Um, I mean, he might even listen to this podcast, but but yeah, so he got these games from someone else um, that was just offloading their games to him, I think, basically. And yeah, there was a lot of Ubisoft titles that end in the letter Z yeah. or Z, yeah. as the Americans would say. And yeah, kind of like babies, puppies. Uh, yeah, I don't really want to talk about let's those not terms, let's not dwell yeah. on that subject I guess. so i mean that's the thing is that he's he's got his ds light but the main game and pretty much the only game he plays on it is pokemon so i guess similar to how we were in the game boy era when we didn't really venture that far outside of the, yeah. the pokemon sphere um so yeah you know very similar i think that's one of those things you kind of get locked into that system and it's because those games are familiar to you and you know what you'd like and you kind of just want to keep going with it i'm kind of interested into did he tell you how he got into world of tanks or like where where that came from and, and why he you know decided i think to? it was just like i think his, his mom's a little against video games like all mums are to some degree and i guess world of tanks is free and online and he could just log onto the internet with his laptop that he got and just download it sure. and play it. And he was like properly into it with the headset and like talking to other people and stuff. And I was just kind of like, Interesting. wow, that's like a gaming experience I've just never done or like gotten, gotten into is like PC online gaming at all. So he was like totally into it. Um, yeah, and I mean, I, I think I feel kind of similar to what he did at that time because I was messing around with some, you know, light MMOs like RuneScape at the time, and you know that was an online free-to-play thing, and I could access it easily, and it didn't take a really heavy-end computer to run. You know, it would run in the client on the internet. I'm not sure if World of Tanks is like a download thing or if it works in a browser, but. Um, I think it's a download, but I'm not sure. Okay, does he have a um, relatively beefy laptop then, or f- from what you could tell, did it did it look decent? Yeah, it all seemed to be running quite smoothly. I mean, I don't know anything about the, the sort of the tech of laptops and stuff like that, but um, it seemed to be running okay on our not re- our, our not very fast internet. Um, and so he probably would have received that as a gift then, you know, for a birthday or, or Christmas. Because I yeah, can't imagine yeah, him having exactly. the capital to uh, yeah. lock up for a really high-end uh, machine. Yeah, no, it seemed to be working fine. Um, and he was also into some other, uh, which was a play and browser game, I seem to remember. And it was some civilization-based game. Right. Um, I can't actually re- remember the name of it, but it was free as well. Um so yeah, that's him. And then my other cousin, who's a bit older, she's 14. And she's not really a video gamer, to be to be honest. Um, but she's obviously she's obviously someone who's always up for a video game if she's at someone's house or something. So she's got a lot of friends who she has played sort of the Wii with Wii Sports. Totally. And she's played Smash Brothers and Mario Kart and those kind of multiplayer experiences. So she has a little bit of knowledge, but she, she doesn't think she's very good at video games. And she's not totally as into him uh, as into them as my younger cousins sure yeah Uh, those are their profiles I guess alright well I I guess I have a uh, relatively similar 
set up to you, as it were, in terms of cousins. Uh, my uh, youngest cousin, who I've been doing uh, a lot of kind of stuff with uh, when I was down in London, he's eight years old, so a little bit younger uh, than yours, but um, definitely still into games and uh, very kind of, you know, finding his feet, as it were, uh, into what he likes and all that stuff. So... He doesn't really own any consoles. He doesn't have access to a computer, and he doesn't have access to, you know, handhelds or anything. The main form of games that he has access to are through the devil, as we call the tablet <laughs> devices. Uh, the iPad. The iPad. Not Facebook games. God, no, he's, he's far too young. No, I said, I said facepalm. Oh, yeah. okay. No, I, I mean, like, there is a level below iPad games, and of course, Facebook games, which I was going to say. But, um, <laughs> yes. No, he's, he's, he's big into iPad stuff, no matter what it is. His main vice is FIFA. He's just a football nut. He is... In, he knows an insane amount about football and is just fucking crazy about it. So that is what he, uh, you know, spends a lot of time doing. And he's on FIFA all the time and doesn't stop. And I'm really fascinated by it because he has found just he's kind of been growing up in this era of touch gaming, right? And and stuff with virtual buttons and virtual analog sticks and. I really don't understand how he does it, but he plays the game with such ease using a virtual analog stick and using virtual buttons. And oh, it you know, feels horrible. I know it does. To me, it seems insane and horrible, and there's no tactile feedback. There's none of that. And I have railed against this type of game so many times on the podcast, and I am not a fan of it, and I really don't want to see it in our future. But, you know, if, if young kids are growing up to be game developers and are starting on these devices, then we may see a day when, you know, that may come. Which, you know, I don't particularly uh, think will be the case because I think a lot of kids who are really into games will know what the good stuff is and they'll be influenced by that as opposed to, uh, you know, your tablet stuff. But, um, but yeah, he's really on the ball with it, uh, you know, pardon the pun, uh, with FIFA and everything and, uh, <laughs> and is really down with that stuff. So that was mainly his stuff. Um, my uh, other cousin, who's his sister, who's a little bit older, uh, doesn't play... Uh, games too often she will sometimes you know back and forth with him on the ipad for certain stuff like you know cut the rope or temple run or all these kind of throwaway um you know free games that they they go back and forth with so uh she's there and she kind of uh sometimes likes stuff and uh when i brought out some of the multiplayer stuff she was down to play as well so um so yeah i guess i guess that's uh the main experience that they have uh with with games uh, at this point in time so uh so yeah, I, I guess we can uh, start talking about what we played with them and uh, what we introduced to them. So how we tried to indoctrinate them. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> to some degree, sure. Um, well, for me, I started off by just saying to them, right, look, I own all these games, you pick, we'll play, I don't mind, let's just play whatever you want to play. And for for my younger cousin, who was more keen on games, like I said, his first two picks were the big franchise names. So, like I said, he's obsessed by Pokemon and he's a massive Star Wars fan. So, his first two games out of my pretty wealthy um, games collection were two GameCube titles, um, Star Wars Rebel Strike and uh, Pokemon Coliseum, which is actually a game I never owned. I actually borrowed it from someone a long time ago and never gave it back. So, um I've never actually played Pokemon Coliseum, but he basically, I think he was getting confused between Pokemon Coliseum and Pokemon Stadium, because 
on our previous visit, he had we had played quite a bit of Pokemon Stadium together, and he did enjoy that. So we did play a bit of that. But yeah, so we played quite a lot of uh, Star Wars Rebel Strike, which has a great co-op mode um, with the original Rogue Squadron on GameCube, Rogue Squadron Two, which was a launch GameCube game. Um, so there's a co-op mode of that game in Rebel Strike that we played together, and you know he's pretty good. Like he enjoyed it. It was really we got to a level that was incredibly tough. That game in general is just has a high difficulty curve. You know, I I actually picked it up recently, um, second hand. Uh, I mean the you know the second game, Rogue Squadron Two, uh, which is like a, only in co-op in Rogue Squadron Three is. I understand is what you said. Yeah, so Rebel Strike is Rogue Squadron three, yes, and the Rogue Squadron one was on N sixty four. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I, I I have Rogue Squadron two, and I've I played it a couple of times, but that the missions are kind of really difficult, and I haven't you know tried to bang my head against the wall to to beat it. But uh, so yeah. yeah, like we kind of got our way through the through the games. I think he's actually a very good gamer, and I was really impressed. Like, he hung in there. It was frustrating, but he sort of said, come on, no, we can do it. We can do this mission. And, like, we'd, we'd team up and sort out tactics. I'd be like, you shoot that, I shoot this, he sh- you, you do this, I do that. And we were really using teamwork and working together. It was really good. Um, and then after a while, he was just kind of like, come on, let's play Pokemon Stadium. We play Pokemon Stadium, a game which I'm... I'm a little bit tired of Pokemon Stadium. I don't know. We played an awful lot of it when we were younger, um, MBZ. But, and um, it's a very different perspective on it now with the knowledge of you know playing competitively. Although it is somewhat different because the mechanics are very different in those games. They're based on the first and second gen. Yes, so the typings of physical and special moves, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so then I basically said to him, have you ever played Super Smash Brothers? And he said, yeah, I think I've played it a bit. So because we, we just played the GameCube, um, we just got out Melee. Sure. And I was thinking, right, what do I do? He's never played Smash Brothers before. How do I have a fun time with him and, like, I don't just kick his butt and he doesn't get depressed. I'm just constantly beating him and we can, like... I, but I still want him to play this game so he can get better and eventually beat me. So... He obviously wanted to main Pikachu, and that kind of works. That worked quite suit, uh, suitably because Pikachu is quite an easy character to pick up and play with. He's quite a simple move set, and that was great. And so what we did was we play. We got in teams. He was really keen to play with me, so we played a couple of games where we played co-op together against a couple of computers, and we did okay because we didn't put the computers too hard. But then I thought, right, what level did you rack him up to? We cranked those computers to beat the two of them only like six or seven. Okay, or that's not too bad. Um, but I'm now at the stage where I can like beat computers on nine. Yeah, and, yeah, like, easily. On Super Smash Brothers Melee. So um, after that, uh, we split up into two separate uh, teams. So we'd have a computer on our team each. And my computer was much weaker than his computer. And this worked out perfectly because I could fight as hard as I wanted. And I knew that I it, I was still up against it to try and beat him and his computer because he was mashing the damn bees. Um, I should say that he he specifically said initially, without me saying a word, he said, can we play without items? And I was like, 
wow, wow. <laughs> He's like on my wavelength. I was, I was like, why do you want to play without items? He's like, oh, because it'll just be too much to think about and too much to learn. Right. Like, he's really keen to like just learn from step by step from the bottom up. And I really, I really like that. That's what I was thinking about is that when you're trying to introduce someone to Smash Brothers, it actually is generally a good idea to turn items off because the chaos that ensues with all of those makes it really quite difficult to keep track of your character if you don't know what is happening. So, uh, definitely a good idea yeah exactly so we did a lot of matches like that and then eventually he, he discovered the pokeball weapon and so we did a lot of matches where we made the rule like you're not allowed to attack each other or you're allowed it was we only played with pokeballs on and all you were all you were so that was good fun and he's obviously a massive pokemon fan and that smash brothers went down a treat um i mean other than smash brothers uh multiplayer game wise Mario Kart was less of a success, mainly because of that issue I described with Smash Brothers that I was worried about. Is that I was just worried I'd beat him all the time, and I, I beat him at Mario Kart, and he was a bit like, oh, "Well, you're always going to beat me at this," just like how I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But he, but he really sort of appreciated how good of a game Mario Kart Eight was on the Wii U. But he just didn't want to play. He wanted to play Smash Brothers because he had such a good time on that. So we played a bit of the Wii version Brawl. Yeah, but. With my save file being on the Wii U, it was a bit of an issue because he doesn't, he didn't, he he liked the GameCube pad. Like he he couldn't play Smash Brothers without the GameCube good pad. Good lad, so already, good lad. <laughs> already within a few hours of playing Smash Brothers, he had to play with no items. He I should also add he only liked the flat stages. So his favorite stages were Pokemon Stadium, uh, Corneria, and Final Destination. He basically wouldn't. He hated playing on any other stages, especially stages with whole like pits in the middle, like the Super Mario Bros. stage and stuff like that. Um, so other than those games, we tried out a bit of Nintendo Land, and that went down a treat with all with both of my cousins because it, it had some great three-player games that we could do. We did a lot of Zelda, a bit of Mario Chase, and the Luigi's Mansion one. It, it, they both worked pretty well three players. Um, and then I sort of I felt like I really wanted to try and get him into a single-player like meaty Nintendo experience. So I was like, what could I do? I, so I knew he had a DS Lite and I wanted to give him something where he'd have the option of potentially just borrowing the game from me for a long time, like go away back to Canada. He's from Canada. So go back to Canada, play this game and let me know later down the line. Like, oh yeah, I really like that. So I, I was like, right, you need to try some Legend of Zelda. And he sort of was like, well, Legend of what? <laughs> like, like, he, was like, like, he hadn't heard of the Legend of Zelda, so oh, I was like, man. right. Kids these days, what are they doing? Exactly. So he had a, he had um, his DS Lite, so I got, I thought, I, I have three Zelda games that work on a DS Lite. I've got um, Minish Cap, Phantom Hourglass, and Spirit Tracks. I put all three of them in front of him, and I said, right, I'm really keen that you try out one of these games, like start a new file and see what you think of it. And he was like, okay, I'll try it. So so he said, which one should I try? And I suggested, mm, out of those three games, I've not actually completed Minish Cap, and I know that it's got quite a hard ending. So I thought, Phantom Hourglass is a bit frustrating. So I said, Spirit Tracks. I, only, I completed it uh, late last year, and it's a really solid game. So I said, right, try that. And... He was he, he he was like what did he describe it? He 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 described it in a really funny way. He said like he said like oh this is a bit like an RPG or something I think. Right. And I was like yeah it's got RPG elements for sure. Yeah. Um and then so 
he he didn't like get that invested like in the story or anything. He wasn't that interested in it, and like it, it, it didn't click with him immediately. And I and like he got up to the first dungeon. I don't think he did the first dungeon, but. Yeah, I don't know. For whatever reason, like I was, I was over his shoulder a lot of the time. He was playing it and like helped him out with a couple of puzzles that he got a bit stuck on. But I don't know. He just wasn't enjoying it. And I think part of that was that he kind of saw me sitting there, thinking, "I'd rather just be playing Smash Brothers with you. Why am I playing this game by myself? It's pointless." Blah blah blah. He was, he was really into playing some multiplayer games with me, so I can understand that. So yeah, I had some ups and downs with games that they wanted to play definitely smash brothers was the biggest success and, and the melee and melee not brawl i should say mm, so interesting yeah what what were you, some of your more successful and less less successful experiments uh, I'll, I'll get on to that in a second i was just wondering you know you didn't want to sit him down and like show him a console zelda like if, if you were playing it or like sit him down and show him wind waker hd and start show show him as you played or something like that to give him a bit more of the spectacle of the larger scale zelda yeah, I I wish I had sat down and just maybe started a new game of Wind Waker HD like with him yeah. where either of us could have the controller and it could be like a a cooperative experience almost. Um but he really wasn't keen on it. He just he was just like I was like, why don't we play Zelda? And he goes, is it multiplayer? And I go, it's not multiplayer. But maybe I should have just marketed it to him better by saying, actually, yeah, we could play it together. I mean, interestingly enough, you could make that pseudo multiplayer by handing him the gamepad and allowing him to do some sort of uh, item management and map uh, management and all that stuff. And you could play on the pro controller uh, and do the actual important stuff. And, you know, he could kind of be a secondary uh, navigator, as it were. I didn't know you could do that with Wind Waker HD. I'm actually. pretty sure you can because uh, you know you can uh, play it with the Pro Controller and still yeah, have the bottom screen. I, I think. Yeah. Uh, although that may not be possible. Yeah, I mean, I wish I had tried that, but I think it was always an uphill battle. By me being there, he just really wanted to play multiplayer games, and that the, the hook of Smash Brothers had genuinely hooked him, like he was really keen to play that more so than anything and then i'd say after that star wars rebel strike uh cooperative was probably the most successful after that um all right so yeah cool i wish i had tried maybe a bit of wind waker hd or something but yeah but, oh well oh well Next indeed time. uh okay so i guess i'll, I'll talk about uh, some of the stuff that i showed to my cousins um i guess uh the interesting thing is that they having not had any consoles or not really been around any handhelds or anything like that before are always really interested and fascinated when I come to London because I bring my bag of goodies which I have literally everything with me. The magic MBZ with all his games. Uh, yeah, I do, I do. So I just I bring my bag and I have everything and you know we're at my grandparents' house and they live pretty nearby there so they come around quite often. Um, and, you know, I had my Wii U this time because I wanted to take it down and, you know, finish Xenoblade, and then I, you know, had some other stuff on then, you know, Warrior Land, uh, Shake Dimension for Wii, so um, I had a lot of stuff, and I, I brought down Mario Kart, I, I brought down Smash, and all that stuff, so uh, 
they always like, oh man, I want, let me let me look at that. Let me look at this screen you're playing on because I had the Wii U gamepad and uh, it's very interesting because it's this weird contraption, this controller they've, I guess, never seen before but can cr- relate to in some way because they've had iPads and it does look yeah. like a pseudo tablet. Um, and so I think the first thing I'll talk about is Mega Man Two, which is really an interesting <laughs> one because you're like, this wait, is what? What is? What are you doing? You're giving an eight-year-old Mega Man Two? Doesn't that sound insane? Uh, uh, to some degree, yes, but I guess back in the day, a lot of eight-year-olds were playing that sort of uh, style of game and, and trying to better themselves and get and get through these really tough platformers. Um, and so, yeah, I, I basically got that out because I had recently bought it and I was uh, wanting to finish it. And as you heard a couple of weeks ago on the show, I did indeed complete Mega Man 2 and I was successful in that. But a part of that, while I was kind of in the middle of being sick and everything, uh, my cousin was over and he was like, oh, this game looks really cool and stuff. I'm like, yeah, this game's really old. It's older than me. And he was like, oh, wow, that's crazy. So, uh, and he wanted to play it. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll, I'll give you the gamepad. You can take this game and try it out yourself and see how you do. So I sent him on his way and he started going through some levels and, you know, he was having a hard time because... First of all, it's Mega Man 2, and it's a fucking difficult game when you're an eight-year-old. But secondly, he doesn't have a huge amount of experience with traditional controllers and buttons and being able to do that kind of stuff. So it's really funny because he would take the gamepad and he he'd kind of go between using the analog stick and the d-pad and he didn't quite know which one to do and i kept telling him you know use the d-pad it's easy to do it it's much more uh, kind of uh, effective and responsive so he was doing that for a bit and there was a part there's a part at the very beginning of bubble man stage which you'll probably remember bally uh, having played mm-hmm. mega man 2 uh, with the frogs and this giant frogs spitting out small frogs yep. and there are gaps you have to jump across and it's it's very much a mix of being able to jump while simultaneously firing and that's something he had trouble with because his fingers are kind of small and it's hard for him to do both at the same time and do it quickly. So what he would end up doing is moving himself into position with the D-pad, and then he would take his ha- right, his left hand, sorry, from that side and take it to the other side of the controller and use a finger from each hand, one to jump and one to shoot. And I was like, wait a second, what are you doing? This isn't how you play video games. He's using two <laughs> hands on one side of the gamepad. It was really funny, and uh, I kind of. Uh, you know, got a hold of it, and I was like, "No, no, this is how you hold it. This is <laughs> no, 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 th- no. this is what you should be doing." And you know, he uh, he kept going, and I was kind of just chilling and watching him in the background. And uh, he went through a couple of different stages and kept dying and losing. And he got to, I believe, it was Flashman stage. And he was doing pretty well. I think that stage is quite amenable for beginners because, first of all, there are no pits to fall into. That's a big one. You know, if there's endless pits, then you're dying instantly. It doesn't matter how much health you have, you fall down and you're, you're gone and you're dead. So there weren't many of those. The enemies weren't too challenging and there weren't too many of them. And uh, it was kind of something that he could wrap his head around. So, you know, he, he got set on that one. And he got pretty far. He got actually to the checkpoint of it, which I was surprised by. I was like, wow, you did pretty well there. And uh, after that one, he did a few more he actually ended up going through all the robot masters and and didn't beat any of them of course he just uh, died a lot but um in the end he was like you know i want to go back and do that flashman stage again because that was the one he was good at so i sent him on his way and you know within about 10 15 minutes he'd managed to get to the end of the stage and i was like wow 
That's impressive. I'm, I'm kind of shocked that he was able to do that. And not only that, but he had enough lives to where he went into the boss room, died really quickly, but he did it again, and he beat the boss. So oh. having started, you know, no idea what to do, never seen this game before, having, you know, never really touched a game controller, to completing a whole Robot Master level and beating a boss in Mega Man 2, I was really impressed, uh, and I thought that was super cool. So um, uh, I, I marked that down as a, a big achievement for him in his, uh, I guess, gaming life, as it were. So uh, uh, that was awesome, and he was he was pretty proud of himself, so uh, I was pretty pleased with that. That um, is pretty incredible, actually, Like especially with Mega Man 2. Yeah, it really did shock me. It kind of knocked me off my feet, and I took a picture of it and put it on Twitter, and I was like, this is a really cool moment. So uh, yeah, I was... I was uh, I was really impressed. Um, aside from that, there's a lot of uh, kind of multiplayer stuff that we were doing. Um, going back to the iPad, interestingly enough, you know, the, there are a couple of really great games that you can get on iPad. One of them, which I am a pretty big evangelist of, is, of course, Hearthstone. And um, Hearthstone's a pretty complicated game, right? It's a card game. It has a lot of rules. It has a lot of uh, different aspects to it. But the thing about it is it has a fantastic tutorial mode where, you know, very easily, step-by-step, walks you through how to play, what the different elements are and what the different mechanics are. And is something that actually works pretty well for, uh, you know, even a younger audience. So I went over to their house and they have an iPad there. And I was like, hey, let me show you this cool game on iPad. So I went in, I downloaded Hearthstone for them. And um, I just set them on their way. I kind of guided them through the first couple of uh, training areas and then set them off to go in the next couple. And it was really cool because they were both kind of trying to work together. They both had the iPad in between them and they were trying to make key decisions like, oh, should we play this card now or should we wait uh, until that guy does that and how we have enough mana points to play this card? And it was really interesting because they were kind of discussing it together, like uh, having that competitive mindset uh, and then making the final decisions and going through with it and kind of learning from uh, their mistakes uh, and all that good stuff, and um, I think that's really fun, and uh, you know, it's it's a complicated game, and it's one that I think uh, they need a little bit more guidance on if they wanted to get into it, but it's something that's accessible to them now, and it's a high-quality product, and uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a damn sight better than Flappy Bird, I'll tell you what, so... Uh, so, so that's a good one. Um, and I tell you what, Bally, if they can play Hearthstone, you damn well can. So, yeah, I know. So, uh, so I would say, uh, you know, yeah, you should. De- I need to play out. Hearthstone and Mega Man too. You to do, yeah. They're, they're, they're both on the list. So, so that was really cool. I'm, I, uh, I don't think they'll go back to it until I get back down uh, to London at some point and help them out a bit more, but. It was just interesting from the perspective of, you know, watching them sit there and puzzle things out and, and, and try and uh, figure out how to beat uh, their opponents. So uh, so that was awesome. Uh, the next one was dumb because uh, I had my laptop and uh, I had installed Dive Kick on there, which uh, if you don't know what Dive Kick is, it is one of the, the most hilariously stupid games in the history of the universe. Uh, so it's a two-button fighting game in which you jump and you basically you dive, dive and kick. You, kick. you dive and you kick. Uh, and each uh, round basically um, if you connect a hit the opposing player is dead so it's a one hit KO for everything and you go through like five rounds it's it's a lot of fun and I've played it with my sister in the car a bunch you know down you know, on the journey from London because it's like seven hours that we have to do and uh, it's it's just an easy time killer so what I did is I hooked it up to the TV through uh, a cable and got out my Xbox 360 controller plugged that in and sat them both down on a chair and was like Here's the controller. 
you have one side, you have the other side, you use a shoulder button and a face button, and I got both of them to play each other at Dive Kick, and it was stupid fun, and they kind of enjoyed it a lot, and, uh, and uh, yeah, it was just a, a nice, easy thing to do. Um, and it's just one of those games that you can get into instantly and understand really quickly what, what goes on. If you even understand the basics of any sort of fighting game, then getting into Dive Kick is no bother. It's just... Uh, it's just an in and out. And so they really enjoyed that. They had good fun with that. Um, and then I guess we get to uh, the more traditional things, like you were playing uh, Mario Kart, Mario Kart 8. Um, and uh, I uh, I got out the Wii remotes for this because, you know, them being a little bit younger and uh, I guess having gone over to their friends' houses and maybe played Mario Kart Wii before, um, they were more used to using that control scheme of turning Wii remotes on their side. Yeah, basically. And uh, okay. I think that works the best for their age because at that age they're going to no matter what controller you give them they're going to intuitively turn it anyway like they they just have that inbuilt thing where they're just like yeah i'm I'm kind of you know moving this i remember you were very guilty for that oh, with many driving i was I, I was indeed i, I always yeah. used to do that i would hold the controller and tilt it and you know lo, lo and behold and puff and puff your cheeks up with air <laughs> right i was just that. getting concentrated you know i had to, I had to yeah. focus um so so lo and behold uh that's that's what they were doing and and, uh, and so I just I gave them that and uh, yeah and just you know had had a couple of sessions of Mario Kart and I put them on. Was it a success? Uh, yeah, it was a pretty good success. I think uh, my uh, uh, the boy cousin he was getting a little bit bored of it uh, and uh, his older sister wanted to play more, so he was like, "Oh, I want to play something else. I want to do something else." So we did that for a while and uh, and, and they did pretty well. I put it onto fifty cc so that they could kind of feel good about themselves, and uh, it ended up that he was always coming in first, and then she was actually doing pretty well. She was getting up the ranks then. She ended up getting like some some third places, some fourth places. So that was that was good, and I. I uh, kind of saw that as a, as a success for them um and then i decided you know what let's fuck it let's put on smash brothers and see what happens now oh now I, I didn't have uh my wii or my gamecube i only had my wii u so of course i didn't have access to any gamecube controllers the only controllers i really had were the classic controller pro and the wii remote and so uh, the, the, i basically gave them both a wii remote and was like oh god just 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 go and i didn't really tell them much i said here are the basics here's your punch button here's your special you can press up to jump because that's how it works on that i was like go and uh it, it was a mess <laughs> it was pretty much yeah. an unmitigated disaster i turned off items i put them on final destination and uh, and let them have a, a bit of a bash at it but they really couldn't even get their heads around it it's a little bit too complicated for them to even understand and uh and try and uh, work through so uh, smash brothers kind of uh, was a bit of a flop but it was kind of it was a weird frustrating fun watching them because i was just like venting like oh my god this is just the most horrifying thing to watch in the world but then again it was uh it was kind of just super silly and everything uh, in the way that Sa- smash brothers usually is so um so yeah i uh I, uh, I got them on that. Do you think your cousins will buy a console when they're a little older? Uh, I think maybe. I- I'm not quite sure. You know, at uh, this current point in time, I don't... their parents are kind of against games. Uh, I get the feeling. So, so <laughs> they find them anyway. <laughs> That's the thing with these iPads, right? Exactly. That's the thing. And you know, you know, I, I don't think. 
uh, it's a it's an interesting era we live in because I don't think a lot of parents associate the iPad with video games in the traditional sense. You know, yeah. they'll they'll see a PlayStation and they'll be like, "Oh, that that is a horrible thing. I'm never buying that for my kid. That's 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 not for them. They don't want to play video games." And they they go back home and their kid's sitting there playing Cut the Rope, and it's like, you know, there is a difference there, and there is a. A distinct difference in quality and uh, you know style and everything, but it's a game. It's fundamentally still a video game. Yeah. And yet one one they shun and the other they just turn the other face to. You know, it's it's weird. One um, hilarious story that my cousin kept telling me. So he's my second cousin. His mum's my cousin. Um, he always he always says, "Oh, but when I'm at home, Mum says that's enough games for today." And then and then later after dinner, I catch Mum playing solitaire on her phone, <laughs> and he like gets really annoyed about the fact that, that she's gaming when he's not allowed to game. And I just find it funny that that you're right. Par- a lot of parents have like this mis misinformed ultimately um, idea that games have to be on a game system and everything that's not on a game system can't be a game it's it's always something else or something better yeah exactly and uh i don't know it's it's a it's one of those things that will change with time as people who play games get older and eventually become parents themselves and you know the 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 face of all this stuff will you know move on and, and we won't have to deal with those issues anymore but for the time being yes uh you know that that's a thing that we unfortunately uh have to see so um uh, so yeah, I, I mean, uh, we've gone quite a long time talking about this topic, but uh, yeah, what, I mean, what, what do you think about games for younger kids these days? We were kind of discussing before about how, you know, Nintendo, as it were, don't have as big a place in the market for their console stuff as they used to, and so, you know, before in the previous generation with Wii, I think a lot of kids were getting in on the ground floor for games uh, through that platform. With Wii U, it doesn't seem like it's doing the job, and to be perfectly honest with you, I don't see Xbox or PlayStation catering to that young younger crowd either so it does seem that the handheld space is where it's all at and you know if kids are going to be getting games it's either going to be on uh, a phone or on a tablet or uh, at this point on 3ds it seems like the dominant platform yeah i mean what we've already said i think um rings true is that parents don't see games on laptops and iPads in the same way they do as on say a 3DS or a DS and for example my cousin like I think his mom's a little uneasy about buying games potentially for his DS and but she but she kind of just turns a blind eye to to some extent um with all the gaming on his laptop so it's kind of it's kind of a a tricky situation and i mean the biggest loser in that situation i guess is nintendo to some degree because they have a whole wealth of games for designed for the ds uh the ds light in his case and then he's going and playing world of tanks and then i don't know and in many ways that's a more violent game than any of the games he'd ever be playing on the ds sure, so it's yeah. kind of like i don't it's hard to it's hard to and he's not my kid, and it's not my decision, so it's hard to speak on that front. But it's it's I don't know it's it's a tricky situation, and I know that when I was younger, it was it was often an uphill battle persuading my parents that I I want to play this game, I want to buy this system, I want to do this, I want to do that, and I never really played many violent games, if any, when I was younger, and I think 
my parents always did have a sort of solace with Nintendo to some degree because they knew that okay we've got them the GameCube we've got them the N64 uh, they by and large don't have many violent games and we won't let them buy the violent games I guess and that was just kind of how it was and I played loads of fantastic games um, on those systems and I guess that's just not carried over in the same way I mean our cousins are even slightly too young to have remembered or been old enough to play games with the Wii Sports era which was actually a massive opportunity for a lot of people to just get into gaming because they'd own a Wii system and then they'd say let's I mean, this was a minority of Wii owners, by and large, uh, believe me, but they'd say, like, well, maybe let's try Mario Galaxy or Zelda Twilight Princess or something else. Right, and, and then branch out from that are, point. Exactly, and those are those are very uh, child-friendly games. Yes, there's a little bit of violence in Zelda to some degree, but, it, I mean, those games are fantastic, high-quality games that... Um, just in my opinion, completely blow games like, I don't know, World World of Tanks or FIFA on an iPad out of the water. But I mean, that's coming from a Nintendo fan. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's definitely very different to the gaming environments that we were used to growing up and how we got into kind of gaming and Nintendo gaming in general. Yeah. And I mean, you know, with games like Minecraft being readily available on platforms like the PC on, on laptops and on iPads, you know, uh, kids are really into that stuff, and you know they're going to keep following wherever it goes. And uh, Nintendo didn't lock it down. You know, can you, can you imagine a world where Nintendo got the exclusivity, the console exclusivity on Minecraft? It may well be a different oh. different place we are living in. And uh, you know, if you take a look at the Wii U, it's, it's it's almost perfect for that. The infrastructure with the touchscreen and the stylus setup and being able to place blocks, it's, it seems like a no brainer, right? But um, I guess the the wrong people were, yeah. The, you know, they weren't there at the right time. It really feels like there's a massive disconnect from the era of our cousins that we're talking about and the Wii U. And it's just like, there are all these fantastic games on that system that would suit an audience like like theirs just as much as it would suit us as slightly older Nintendo fans. And it's just like... Ugh, just marry the two up and then you would sell more Wii U's, there'd be more kids happy, we could solve world hunger. And <laughs> yeah. let's, let's not get so. a bit too ahead of ourselves. but uh, Exactly. But, uh, but, um, sure, I get your point. Well, uh, I, I think we've uh, covered that pretty expe- extensively uh, and expensively if you want to count all the money we spent <laughs> uh, on the games. But, uh, but yeah, that uh, I guess uh, for you guys at home, that's uh, a little bit of a look at uh, our... Uh, game playing habits of uh, you know people uh, younger people around us and uh, hey uh, hopefully uh, you found it entertaining tell us about your cousins and family and younger gamers you know and their gaming habits because we're intrigued yeah certainly and you can uh, send all of that correspondence of course to our email address which is bali nyppquestions at gmail.com and I say this every week but um, remember to tell us where you're from because it's great to know it is and we do need a lot of emails we're running low we are scraping the bottom of the barrel so uh, get those in we want more emails we would love to hear from new listeners as always if you've never written in but you've been listening to the show for a while we'd love to hear some new voices on here and uh, and all that good stuff so uh, and tell us and I'd be interested to know Tell us what segments you've liked over the last um, few episodes. We've d- we've done different segment for the the final third segment um, 
almost every show really so tell us which ones you like whether it's talking about our cousins and younger gamers or something like the jukebox was that did that work out well so we need to know what you guys like so we can do more of it for the future indeed indeed um so uh yeah uh, keep keep that correspondence coming uh, you can of course keep up with this and what we are doing during the breaks between episodes on the internet by following us on uh, the social media so uh, you can catch me over on twitter i am at lord nbz and uh, if you are a meverse user you can find me on uh, that platform also with uh, lord nbz being my name uh, as well so uh, so yeah keep uh, keep following me there what about you bally and on twitter i am at ballyman91 b-a-l-l-y-m-a-n-9-1 and that is also my name on the Meverse. Um, I'm going to be playing a bit of Trine 2, an indie game. So um, I'll be posting a lot of beautiful screenshots from that um, incredibly good-looking game. Oh, it's gorgeous, I, I tell you what. hopefully be talking about next time. So Excellent. It's a, a fantastic, fantastic game. And i um, glad you picked it up because uh, I think very highly of it. So uh, It was on sale. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Impulse buy. Yeah, got to got to get down with those impulse buys. They they are important. Oh, and wait until I get talking about impulse buys, but we'll save that for another time. They are the cause of my uh, extensive extensive backlog, but uh, <laughs> but you know that all too well. Uh, yes, of course, you can uh, leave us some reviews on iTunes as well, if you would be so kind. We haven't had any recently, but that's okay. Uh, we'd love to uh, get some more, and uh, do keep sending those in, because uh, we really appreciate it, and uh, it would uh, help us get up those iTunes rankings, so that we can conquer the charts and uh, complete our domination uh, of the podcasting space. So uh, if you want to go ahead and do that, please do, uh, feel free. And um, I guess uh, that's pretty much it. Any uh, anything else you want to say here, Bali, before we close out the show? I guess next time we we are speaking, we will know the full Smash Brothers roster. And yeah, oh, we will indeed. It's going to be a hell of a week uh, for Smash Brothers fans. This is. And yeah, Hyrule Warriors coming out now, so um, I guess loads of reviews are going to go up for that soon. So. Yeah. So be interesting. Lots, a lot of change before next time definitely and uh, we hope to be talking all about it with you and uh, and all the good stuff so uh, thank you very much for listening we will be back at you again in a couple of weeks time but until then uh, this is us and uh, we'll see you next time goodbye interludes used in today's show were the Star Wolf theme from Star Fox 64 3D, copyright 2011 Nintendo, and the Mega Man 2 medley from Super Smash Bros. for 3DS and Wii U, copyright 2014 Nintendo and Capcom. Alright. What episode are we on? 22, I think. 22! 22! Today, I noticed on Twitter that Taylor Swift has 43 million followers, and uh, 
yeah, her Twitter handle is still Taylor Swift thirteen. You would think that if you're Taylor Swift, you could get the Twitter handle at Taylor Swift, but no, <laughs> she's she's Taylor Swift thirteen. So, <laughs> oh, that is funny.